All right, welcome to the Medical Liability Minute, where, as I say frequently, we speak for more than a minute. I am your host, Jeff Siegel, founder and CEO of Medical Justice, an organization focused on keeping doctors from being sued for frivolous reasons, and we also work to protect and promote um, doctors' most precious asset, namely his or her reputation. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with two people, not one, but two people today, Dr. Michael Nussbaum and Colleen McGuire. They are both uh, um, principals who work with a organization called medx.com, which I will tell you up front, sounds like an answering service. I'm gonna then follow, it's not. And this is not a commercial. This is a, uh, uh, well, let me back up. It was a problem that was identified in a, at least one practice that needed a solution and ultimately turned into solutions for many people. And the trajectory is, is amazing. So let me just describe what the organization does as well as who the principals are. So medics.com was founded in 2010 by two physicians who wanted to improve communication between themselves and their patients, making it easier for doctors to collaborate. It was developed to address one of the biggest reasons for strained doctor-to-patient communications, mishandled, lost, and embarrassing night calls. Uh, so medex.com is a simple-to-use automated answering services uh, service for medical practices. All communications through the systems are recorded, and this is a big deal, and we'll talk about that uh, shortly, and archived mitigating risk and reducing liability. In terms of the people, Dr. Michael Nussbaum is a world-renowned weight loss expert who has been in practice helping weight loss patients in New Jersey for a quarter of a century. His practices have successfully treated over 6,000 6, patients who have lost <laughs> over 500,000 pounds. I, I love that uh, description. He's one of the co-founders of uh, the MedX organization. In addition, we have Colleen McGuire, She's a business professional with extensive sales, marketing, communications experience. Specialties include building, a, building successful long-term partnerships, identifying, developing, and maintaining relationships with medical and dental practices that increase business and make money, helping your customers identify and solve workflow issues. Welcome, Michael and Colleen. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. All right, I'm going to start with a rant about why I hated my answering service. So you'll have to bear with me for a couple of minutes on this because I'm, I'm positive this is a common story that you hear. It's almost ubiquitous uh, amongst medical practices. But a number of years ago when I was practicing, um, I was uh, one of two neurosurgeons in a Midwest community. We had a draw area of about a quarter of a million people, and I was on call all the time. And it was not unreasonable to want to take a few minutes off to go to uh, swim laps in an outdoor pool in the summer. So um, I had blocked out 30 minutes to do that while I was on call, but I um, gave my then alphanumeric pager, of course, we all remember those, um, to the lifeguard. And I instructed my answering service. I said, if there's an emergency, please, you know, pay, page me. The lifeguard has my pager and he'll tap on my shoulder. You will get a call from me within 30 seconds and I'll take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. So I told that to the lifeguard and I was in the pool. Again, I had blocked out 30 minutes to just finish a workout. Well, after about two lengths in the pool, 
the lifeguard taps me on the shoulder once I got to the edge, and he said, your answering service called. So I'm thinking, well, that was really rotten luck. So I call the answering service, and it turns out to be a call for a laxative order. Now, remember, I had told my answering service I'm available for urgent or emergent calls, but in my estimation, a laxative order is not uh, one of those uh, one of those types of calls. So anyway, the, the person on the answering service said, well, I can't really distinguish between, you know, in terms of what a urgent or emergent call is. I got back in the pool, I was pretty pissed. And after about three or four more laps in the pool, again, tap on the shoulder, got out, made the call, same type of thing. It was definitely not an emergent call. Uh, I, I vowed at that point to fire my answering service because I thought that they were incapable of processing information. And I tried to create the precursor to your organization, recognizing how challenging it, was be, it would be. And, but it was interesting. Um, we ultimately created this Rube Goldberg contraption where the patient would call the office and it just was an automated system, said if it's an emergency, press one, someone will get back to you in a couple minutes. If it's urgent, press two, someone will get back to you, you know, within 20 or 30 minutes. And if it can wait, Till the next morning, press three. I was freaking out thinking everybody would press one. What did I learn? Uh, patients triaged perfectly, almost perfectly. I mean, they did not abuse the, um, the privilege or the right or whatever you want to call it. And it turned out to be a much better system. So with that as backdrop that I hated my answering service, how did you get into this? What got you started uh, on this trajectory? So what happened is I had a patient who ended up calling, actually his wife called the answering service. My partner was on call. He had really nothing to do with the case. And she told my partner um, that he was, her husband was having leg pain. And um, my partner said, well, look, you know, he's post-surgery. It could be a DVT. You need to go to the emergency room. Long story short, he had a DVT, pulmonary embolism. Uh, she claimed he never said go to the emergency room. My partner said, of course, I would say go to the emergency room. Why wouldn't I say go to the emergency room? Um, that, that's a no-brainer. Well, we spent four weeks in beautiful downtown Newark fighting in court to defend ourselves. And the whole time I was there, I was thinking to myself, if we just had a conversation recorded, if that whole thing was on a recording, we wouldn't be here right now. Uh, and that was mm -hmm. kind of the impetus to get this whole thing started. So um, it, it sounds like what you needed was a smoking gun, or actually you just need corroboration for what you knew to be the truth. Namely, there was a there was a conversation. You knew exactly what it said, but but because you didn't have that, it turned into he said, she said. Absolutely. And think about how many times that happens to us in, in a year where a, a patient will swear you never told them something. And you're like, absolutely, I told you that. This is a standard thing. I tell all my patients the same thing. And they swear you never said that. So I really wanted to have all the calls recorded. The second issue, I had more experience with you. Uh, or that you had with your answering service. I hated my answering service. I hated the live operators. Um, they always got the messages wrong. If I I needed them to call somewhere else or call a different number, they never got that right. And the stress I had of not getting that call to come through to me in an emergency just you know just killed it for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I, there was really nothing out there. I said, you know what? These two things fit together. We need to start a system that protects doctors. Um, not just from frivolous lawsuits, but also protects us, you know, um, for calls that really don't need to be coming through to us when there's calls that could be left for the next day. So the system mm -hmm. we create records all the conversations between the doctor and patient, but it doesn't really start there. 
where it starts is actually the ability to identify who the patient is. So we have the ability to identify the patient and then depending on which medical record system they have, pull their information from that EMR, present it to the doctor when the call starts. You can then review it and let's face it, we can't remember all of our patients, even though our patients think we can remember everything about them. You can't? Um, I, th I, thought you, I thought you could. No? Okay, keep going. Clearly, we only have one patient at a time. Yeah. Uh, you know, present that information. And, and look, you're, you may be on call for your partner and you don't really know that patient. So having some of that information available to you would be really valuable, right? If you got called in the office, you'd ask somebody to pull the chart so you could take a look at it before you sat down and talk to the patient. So I wanted that same kind of situation to exist in the after hour space. So you get that information. You then listen to the patient's message. The patient says, oh, I'm you know, having abdominal pain or I need a laxative. Well, guess what? You can handle that the way you want to handle it. You can say, you know what? You need a laxative. I'm going to take care of this tomorrow. Or I'm going to send it to a mailbox for my staff to deal with tomorrow. And it just gets put, pushed off. And the patient's told the doctor's not available. Someone will call you tomorrow. Automate it. Or you can say, you know what? This is a legitimate thing. I need to take this right away. And the patient gets put right through to your phone. Or you could say, you know what? I'm in the pool right now. <laughs> I'm, I want to call this patient back in 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And the system will then call you back and remind you to call back that patient in that set period of time that you had asked the system to do that. So let's say you decide, okay, you know what, I'm going to talk to this patient right now. That entire conversation is recorded. It's archived with the medical record. It's there to protect you. This could be used not just in the after hours situation. We have a lot of you know, doctor's offices who use it 24-7. Um, it's a good way to monitor uh, your staff to see how they're talking to the patients. It's a great way to see how doctors who are covering for you or even your partners or junior partner are handling those calls. And, and I do. I, I go back and I listen sometimes. I just want to hear what the conversation was. And a lot of times I'm like, you know, that's great. That, that was handled perfectly. I have no problem with that. Um, my NP and PAs sometimes they call and um, they'll triage those calls before they come to me. And uh, I want to listen to those conversations. So I, I get to have that control where I can take, you know, take a – I listen and, and decide if I like the way that was handled. But everything can also be controlled on an app on your phone. So literally the patients are as close as an app on your phone. And you have that ability to change how the system is going to reach you, where it's going to reach you. There's, there's a call setting, a find me mode that you determine how the system is going to call you and where it's going to call you. Some doctors don't even want to be called. <laughs> they just want a text message. Um, and they just want maybe a brief transcription uh, of that message that came through, and they decide how they're going to handle it. And that, that's an option that you can have as well. Um, but you can also go back and listen to the call. Sometimes I'll, I'll take a call in the middle of the night, maybe 2 o'clock in the morning. I was kind of groggy. I wake up 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, holy crap, what did I say to that patient? <laughs> and I can go back. I can listen to the conversation. Scary. Like, oh, okay, it's scary, isn't exactly. it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I said the right thing. Okay, I'm good with that. Um, but you have that ability to go back and, and listen to it. And if I decided, oh, my God, you know what? I forgot to tell her something. I could just hit call patient. It calls the patient right back right away uh, or the doctor or the hospital or whoever called you um, and connect you again with them so that you could just do it. Push button. One, one step and you're done. Uh, and, and really, that's kind of the crux of the system, although I'm sure Colleen can talk to you about how innovative a lot of the hospitals and larger group practices are using the system. Um, but you have the ability to text message between patient and doctor. Um, I have some patients who will send me um, pictures of their wounds. Uh, and, you know, I say, look, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, 
uh, if that's infected or not. Sounds like it. Can you just, you know, download the app and send me a picture and I can take a look at it. And you know what? That saves a trip to the emergency room. So one question, and this is a bit of a technical question and maybe too early to get into some technical questions, but many doctors, um, as they've gotten rid of their answering service, I mean, they, they probably have something on their phone which says, if this is an emergency, dial 911, but otherwise they often will give out their cell phone number to uh, to the patient and it usually works out okay. Most patients don't abuse it, but some do. And then the doctor freaks out going, hey, my patient now has my cell phone number and I'm worried they're going to abuse it. It sounds like the system that you have created um, is an intermediary, meaning that you can have a text back and forth with a particular patient, but you they don't have your cell phone number unless obviously you choose to give it to them. But it sounds like they're just using um, the office phone number to, to accomplish that. Is that right? Exactly. So it uses the office telephone number. And you can actually set the telephone number within the system as to what you want actually displayed. Um, so it does mm -hmm. protect your caller ID, does protect your phone. Um, there is no way they'll know your number. And I used to do the same thing. Um, I, I felt like I was more of a concierge surgeon, so I would mm -hmm. hand out my cell phone number to all my patients. And you're right, some patients, most patients were very good about it, but some patients did abuse it. The problem is now it's not HIPAA compliant. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't have patients texting you. God forbid, you know, they leave you a voicemail message. And and it's funny because I, I had a, a customer once say to me, I, I don't understand how it's not HIPAA compliant. Why would it even be an issue? I said, well, let, let me give you an example. Let's say you're such a great doctor. You happen to be treating tons of celebrities. Madonna is one of your patients and you're a plastic surgeon. And she calls you up and leaves a voicemail on your cell phone saying, you know what, my breast augmentation, I think it's infected. Um, one, my right breast is huge, swollen, my nipples are gigantic, and somebody hacks your phone and gets that. And they take that message and they put it out there. Guess who's getting sued by Madonna? Yeah, exactly, you would be in the crosshairs. And the other thing that's kind of interesting with the the old way of doing things is that there's generally no record. I mean, in the middle of the night, there may be a telephone call that takes place, and there are multiple ways to handle it in terms of the, the record and the documentation. One is to ignore it and just carry on the next day, business as usual. Number two would be to document that a telephone call took place at three in the morning. Uh, the next opportunity potentially is stating telephone call took place and just summarize precisely what happened. And then the final way is to actually have a bona fide recording or a transcript. I would think that the most protective of all of those would be to have a bona fide recording or transcript because that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what took place. And what's interesting is that we have so many client physicians right now and dentists who will text after hours and don't appreciate that a text should be considered part of the medical record. It's often not included as part of the medical record uh, when it's at, when, you know, people ask for it. Um, although if the Board of Medicine is asking for the medical record and they're saying include text message messages, it creates this last minute freak out in terms of trying to get a bunch of screenshots from all these text messages, which of course is, is probably not HIPAA compliant, although you know, if you want to do it properly, you ask for the patient's authorization in advance of texting back and forth, you know, a lot of these detailed uh, challenges. But, um, yeah, what are your thoughts in terms of, 
you know, having a bona fide record and your understanding of how most practices don't seem to be aware that text messages really can be and should be part of the medical record. Yeah, so we actually, you know, presented to a number of malpractice carriers, some of which we've actually made deals with to provide a discount for using our system because they feel that it will actually save their clients, you know, from potential frivolous lawsuits and reduce the number of lawsuits. And I can tell you about some examples I've had where the system saved me. Um, but what I would say is that uh, when we were actually presenting to one of the malpractice carriers, the owner, who happened to be Warren Buffett, uh, was apparently shocked that it is not a requirement to record all the conversations between a doctor and patient. It, it is in the financial industry. You call your broker up or you call somebody up from the bank and that call is recorded. That's required. There will be some point at which it's going to be required. It's not required right now, but I have no doubt that's going to be the standard. So that company had come up with a very clever way of making sure that you recorded your phone calls after hours, and they were going to require you kept a post-it uh, in your pocket or by your night table, and you would write these things down, and that would be archived in the system by just, you know scanning it into the system. Um, not really the best way to do it, uh, and doesn't defeat the he said she said you know issue that could still occur. You know, sometimes it's just the question of whether a phone call even took place. I've had at least two clients recently. They, they weren't medical uh, liability. One was a board question where the doctor had actually, before she was going to purchase um, a, a large medical device, make, make the investment in this, she wanted to know what type of personnel would need to be, uh, would be required to staff it. You know, was it? Did it have to be the doctor? Could it? Uh, did it have to be a licensed practitioner, or could it just be a medical technician? Because that was part of her calculus in terms of, well, will I make money off of this or not? Is it something I want to offer to my patients? So she actually called, and it wasn't obvious by reading the regulations of the board. So she called the board from, I think, her mobile phone and spoke to someone, and they gave her the green light that said, if you want to use a medical technician, we don't see any objection to it in the regulations. So off she went and she did it. And um, I think there was a complaint related to an employee, an ex-employee, and something entirely unrelated to his medical device for which it was investigated and she was exonerated. But ultimately the board showed up, well, the investigators showed up and looked around and said, well, who's running this medical device as well, medical tech, as the board told me, I could, I could use a medical tech. And I said, no, no, that's not the way this works. And so this turned into a back and forth. He said, she said, she said, look, I, I called the board and I thought I could reasonably rely upon this. And her challenge was that it happened a number of years ago. She believes it was on a you know Verizon phone and she was working overtime to just find a record of the call. Now, you wouldn't once once you would find the call if it existed, you wouldn't really know what the content of the call was, but it would certainly corroborate her narrative that she made a good faith effort to get this information. The board gave it to her, and why would a person call the board and then do something contrary to the board's edict? Um, but she couldn't really get this little nugget of information, and it probably 
it's probably obtainable. Um, but I think what comes as a real shock to people trying to identify whether a call was even made with a mobile carrier is that they don't keep these records forever. They keep them as long as they think it is reasonable. In fact, I had, I've got a buddy of mine who was going through a, um, a divorce and his soon-to-be ex-spouse was trying to capture um, old phone records. And um, I can't recall if it was Verizon, T-Mobile, et cetera, but what he found was that they don't they don't keep records of this uh, very long. So it's interesting that you know having a record is often your get out of jail free card, uh, particularly if it includes the content and nobody thinks about it until there's a problem. And then when there's a problem, it sets off this mad dash. Well, how am I going to get this information? And I can't tell you the number of hours this individual spent just trying to capture a record of the call made to the Board of Medicine on Verizon and ultimately came up empty-handed. Well, I had a, a patient who tried to sue me for vitamin deficiencies after some weight loss surgery. And um, he had called in at one point and spoke to my physician's assistant through mm -hmm. MedXCom. Uh, the entire call was recorded. And on the call, she asked him, are you taking your vitamins? He says, yes. And then his mother, who very clearly is sitting right next to him, goes, no, you're not. And he goes, well, I wasn't. You're right. I wasn't. But I just started taking them again recently. So when the lawsuit came through for a vitamin deficiency and we had that call recording, we sent that as part of the discovery and the suit was dropped immediately. It was awesome. Over. Yeah. I mean, having that nugget of information uh, is, is actually key. Colleen, I want to bring you into the conversation um, you've been the the uh, face of the organization in terms of connecting with uh, practices, in particular large practices. And for many practices, uh, things get done because that's the way they've always been done. And there's a lot of resistance to change just because we're all humans and change is scary. What are some of the the challenges that you have heard when you've mentioned this as an opportunity to update practices, improve efficiencies, benefit workflow, and keep the headaches out of the uh, the doctor's brain, um, what are the but what about problems that you hear about, and then how do you how do you solve those? Okay, uh, good question. Um, well, on one hand, what's interesting about MedExcom is when people find us, they're usually at a, a point where they want to make a change. They're mm -hmm. tired of the overhead, the expense, paying costs that they don't even understand how they incur. Uh, they're tired of the complaints that are given to their office staff by their patients. You know, so at, at a certain stage, a lot of our customers come because they're looking to really get rid of the live operator and use a more HIPAA compliant and dependable system. So those are the easy customers, and yeah. there can be complex um, call flows there. I've got a huge, almost 30-man orthopedic group in in North Carolina, and they have uh, you know different doctors on for different hospitals, different mid levels on for different patient or hospital call. So um, we have developed and designed some real complex things that you might think you'd actually need to put a human in front of, but we've we've automated it pretty well. And uh, to your point earlier, a lot of these patients are, they really do select. When given the choice, they select um, more carefully and judiciously than say if you were just totally forwarding your line to a live operator who you're now offering control to make decisions about 
you know, that you're letting them play doctor, which mm-hmm. they're not paid for. They're not cl- clinically trained to do. And they can't win. I mean, I actually feel sorry for a lot of live operators. When they practice medicine, they get in trouble. If they don't practice, they get in trouble. They really, they are in a no-win situation. So, um, but we do um, accommodate a lot of complex um, uh, practices in terms of multiple physicians being on call concurrently, but we also have, you know, smaller practices that use our system and and can't believe the reduction in um, not only just costs, but errors, just errors that they don't have to deal with. Some of them are like, I can't believe that I'm getting so many fewer calls. I have an oral surgeon out in Eugene, Oregon, who is paying the upwards of seven to $800 a month. This is a single practitioner. That, that's for a live operator, correct? Yes. And repeat uh, yes. that number again because I don't think I heard that correctly. <laughs> it is seven to eight hundred dollars per month. So um, I had worked with their practice manager for a good while. I'm like, you know, you can get all of this for sixty dollars a month. So um, she made the change and loves it. Um, has even provided us with a testimonial saying how amazing it's been. The doctor loves it, and you know, I'm like, well, I smell a big bonus for you, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, it, that's a massive substantial savings for a small practice. I'm not sure it's intuitive though for many people that removing the live human intermediary um, will be safe and it may be scary for people. Do you ever see people running two systems for a period of time? And I think of this not dissimilar to how you, we got, you know, how people moved over from paper charts to electronic medical records, people were run, you know, they had two sets of charts at any one time, and it, it was not easy running two sets of charts, but it gave people a level of comfort. Now, that may be a horrible analogy because so many of the electronic medical record systems um, are not really designed to do what we want them to do, which would be to just document what took place. They're really good at being able to document for billing and collecting, but not so much for the medical record. So you'll excuse me for using EMR uh, and paper records. Uh, But the point I'm trying to make is that because change can be scary, um, do you see, how do you get, how do people who may not have a pain point um, figure out that they can mostly do without uh, the live operator. And then I guess the other question is, can this system be run with a live operator? Can you get live operator backup? But, you know, the front end is mostly the MedEx system uh, running, you know, an automated in an automated fashion most of the time. Sure. I asked you about 12 questions. In yeah, this. yeah. I apologize unless you were writing that down on an Excel spreadsheet. You did, you did. I, I do have my pen and paper my here. My bad. Um, okay. But no, I'm, I'll take it from the top where you asked about running two systems. So, um, a a perfect real life example. So back in, um, you know, when we went heavily into market in 2012, mm-hmm. we had a New Jersey based retina center with about 12 physicians wanting to use our system. Very, very concerned though, because they're like, it's automated. I don't know. Colleen, they're not only elderly, but they're site challenged. I'm concerned. We'll give it a try but we're going to need you to publish our pager number on that outbound greeting mm-hmm. and, and like kind of litter the, the call flow with the ability for these people to choose to hang up instead of going through the urgent process of MedExCom, the right. urgent caller process of MedExCom to being able to hang up and truly page them like they were wearing, you know, pagers on their belts. 
and they kept it in place for, I would say, the upwards of two years. And they finally were like, you know, no one uses the pager anymore. No one calls us on the pager. And they are still a customer, happily a customer, and they all no longer have pagers. So I thought that was interesting because I had never thought about it from, you know, I didn't think about it from like an elderly or site challenge perspective until, you know, a, a group had told me and, and was recognizing that as something that they were concerned about. So I thought that was interesting. And, hey, wait, um, when you said elderly and site challenge, I assume you're talking about the patients of the practice and not the physicians themselves <laughs> correct okay. correct right. it's a retina center yeah so yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting and then they did you know run the two systems concurrently um, to your question about a live operator yes um, several years ago although it was hard for me because um, you know we'd worked we were purely automated in the beginning we definitely pivoted um, at a certain point because we realized there were just these you know, these certain larger groups where there could be like, you know, 10 doctors on call at any given time or on a rotational basis. And just one of them was like, no, 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 I'm not giving up my live operator. And we were just like, well, oh, okay. <laughs> so then we kind of regrouped and we're like, maybe we should um, revisit, you know, partnering in some capacity with a live answering service. So we did. And um, we have um, live agents available for doctors who are still resistant. The nice thing is, too, it's not an all or nothing scenario. Doctors can um, each individually choose how they want to be contacted, whether mm. it be via call me, whether it be via text me, both on the automated platform. And then their third option would be live operator. So they can easily toggle between those three methods of contact or never even use the live operator. They could go in for a, a fee, uh, a minute fee. And if they don't use it, they don't get charged for it. And it sounds like you can customize it. Um, well, when I say customize it, if you're a physician and things change, let's say, for example, you're tied up and you can't be on call and you need somebody else to take over uh, pretty quickly. Um, let, let's say you, uh, I don't know, you have to be somewhere and you can't be in two places at one time. You've got to make a change on the fly. The the before picture was you would just call the answering server and say, Dr. You know, Dr. John Doe is on call for me until I call you back and then hang up, that would be the end of it. But I'm assuming you can probably do this from your own app and it, you don't re really need a human to accomplish that modest exactly. change. It's uh, like probably one of the most favorite features um, for our, our docs, they um, can easily, so you have an event, you're on call and you forgot some familial obligation and you're like, uh-oh, and you just connect with your colleague and say, hey, will you take this call for me? Right mm -hmm. from the app, you can transfer call coverage. You see with your own two eyes that that person is on call for you. You don't have to call an administrator. You don't have to call the call center and wait interminable hold times to let them know that you're making a change and then kind of cross your fingers hoping that that change is in effect. Um, you see with your own two eyes who's on call. You, you can also change from the app very easily how you're contacted, whether it be from those three options, call me, text me, or live operator. And you see that you are on call via that method. Um, so it's it's just, it's seamless. And to Michael's point earlier, Dr. Nussbaum's point earlier, um, the, he, you know, when he would make these changes or he would get called in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. even though he wasn't on call, Right. He would then just be totally concerned for the rest of the night that did they get a hold of the right person? Did they, you know, he would have known right from the app that his colleague was being called, you know, so there's some so know, comfort in that, I guess. 
So, Michael, um, have you seen in your own practice, and you, your practice may be representative or may be an outlier, the use of text messaging by patients in terms of back and forth communication? I mean, I can certainly see the value of shipping a picture. I mean, a picture is worth a thousand words, particularly if you're talking about post-operative uh, wound check, and that works out great for the patient and the doctor, so everybody benefits. Um, but I've also seen, you know, where texting is going back and forth. And, and to me, texting is what's known as asynchronous communication. It's not a, you know, it's not a, it is a back and forth, but it's separated in time. It's not an actual phone conversation. Um, what are you seeing in terms of the trends related to patients texting? And it may be related to the demographics. Certainly younger patients are more comfortable texting than the older demographic. What has your experience been with that and how does that integrate with your system? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's definitely age related. Um, but I, I, the only thing I would disagree about is the asynchronous part because text messages can end a conversation pretty quickly mm -hmm. um, where you get somebody on the phone, you can be on the phone with them for 10, 15 minutes and your text messaging may only take a minute or two, and then the, the question's answered and you've moved on, um, especially with the ability to use Siri right in the app and just dictate your, your answer to the patient. Uh, so I've actually found it um, easier to communicate. Um, not everybody does it, uh, and I, I would definitely you know say that not every practice is using it, um, but that's my comfort level, and it really depends on the comfort level of the provider. Uh, and then once again, patients... I think the younger the patient, that's kind of the way they communicate now. And the other thing is you're not limited by texting. So if there's a back and forth text and it sounds like you, you probably want more real-time communication, you can always say, let's get on the phone, correct? Uh, all you have to do is hit the button and it'll call the patient for you and say, you know, doctor, whoever is on the phone, um, and then let them know the call is going to be recorded and they just say yes and you, they pick up the phone and you're talking to them and it's being recorded. So it's very simple to get a hold of a patient with one button. All right. So um, what I want to get kind of pivot to, and you've alluded to this earlier, is that the system has saved people from the he said, she said legal liability. And, and by the way, once you get, once you've been sued, there likely have been a number of prior steps that took place. So not every conflict culminates in a lawsuit. And I, I think you want to, you want to snuff out the uh, the flames of conflict as quickly as possible, certainly before it culminates in litigation. But do you have examples, other examples of cases where being able to pull out the recording or the transcript was quite helpful in terms of getting people to remember what what precisely took place, you know, in the, in the in the late hours of the evening <laughs> or when you, or when you thought you were sleeping. Yes, absolutely. So um, the couple that stand out, one was a psychiatrist who had um, told his patient to take his medications and the patient agreed to do it. And then the patient had a relapse in the episode and attempted suicide mm. um, and after him and uh, claimed that he had said to the patient, you don't have to take the medications anymore. And he had that recording. So that was that was over with pretty quickly, um, and, and there's been a number of them around medication and instruction uh, instructions that were given from the provider to the patient, where the patient swore that that was never given, uh, and the doctor had the recording. So that, those were over with. 
Uh, I know of two others where patients were told to go to the emergency room, including, you know, it would have happened for my partner back way back when if we had done that. Um, and, and they had the call recording saying go to the emergency room, and they, they didn't, and there were consequences to that. Um, I had one patient uh, with my junior partner quite a while back um, had a cholecystectomy and um, was complaining of abdominal pain. He told both the patient and the patient's wife, who were both on the phone at the same time, you need to go to the emergency room. Um, he did not. Uh, he did have a cystic duct stump leak, which is not a big deal. It's easily treated, you know, arguably a known complication. But they weren't suing for the complication. They were suing for delay in diagnosis. Right. And and once they had the um, the call recording where he basically said to them, look, you need to go to the emergency room. And, and if, if I remember correctly, he actually did say it could be a, a leak from the gallbladder bed or from the duct uh, in the conversation, but we would need to go to the emergency room to find that out. Uh, and the lawsuit was dropped. Once the plaintiff's attorney got a hold of that call recording, there was no delay in diagnosis. It was the patient's fault for not following the doctor's instructions. Well, and I actually have a story of a counter narrative. Um, it was, and, and it's actually in your specialty. It was a bariatric surgeon um, out in the West. And postoperatively, the patient had uh, leg pain and swelling um, and or shortness of breath. And supposedly called the doctor in the middle of the night, said, you need to go to the ER? It sounds like a deep, uh, deep venous thrombosis and pulmonary embolus. Um, patient didn't follow those instructions and died. Um, but there was no recording. It was a he said, she said. And, and there was no she because she had actually died. Um, I believe the family or the estate was, was suing. And it ultimately... I can't remember whether it settled or whether it was a jury verdict. And I want to say it was a jury verdict, but it was a million dollars. And wow. what was what was maddening was it was, you know, an unfortunate known risk of the procedure. There were sentinel symptoms. The patient called the doctor. The doctor gave instructions. Look, it may have had may have ended up with the same outcome. It may have been that she ended up with a PE you know, before she would have gotten that treatment or treatment may have been ineffective, but that wasn't really how this played out. It played out that the doctor never um, even had a conversation with this patient, much less told this patient to go to the emergency room for treatment. And um, that was a big number. And I cannot recall, I seem to remember that either the premiums went up dramatically afterwards or the policy medical malpractice policy was canceled and the doctor had to get coverage in the surplus market which is extremely expensive but this had ripple effects in the practice it was not limited to this one case it ultimately created these dominoes where the, the doctor really struggled in terms of um, the financials of the business, being able to procure timely coverage so that he could continue working seamlessly. I mean, this was a real nightmare on so many different levels. And while physicians can and do make mistakes, he didn't believe that this was a mistake. And here he was trying to keep his practice afloat, you know, having intersected with our medical legal system in a way that didn't uh, didn't work out for him. And I think just having Having a recording in place <laughs> saying go to the ER would have preempted all of this and changed changed his trajectory. Well, some some patients treat this like a lottery ticket. 
they actually you know run with it and figure they just hit the big time and they're going to go after the doctor for as much as they can and they figure well, what does the doctor care they have insurance you know they they're not it's not like it's coming out of their own pocket so there's a misperception about the ripple effect that does occur without without doubt and in, and this and in this particular case you can even argue that the family was was acting in good faith because the family wasn't the one that made the telephone call. The patient made the telephone call, but the patient wasn't there to even say anything. But the family, the estate, if you will, had a chat with an attorney and said, well, you don't know if a call was made. Um, and if so, what it said. Now, records may have been obtainable, but again, just given how much time had elapsed, it's unclear whether these records were even available. And it's it, it's shocking to to learn how quickly these records are expunged, or just a record of a phone call, how quickly those can be expunged, much less the content. I mean, certainly Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile aren't recording the content of, of the phone call. I think just having access to, uh, to the, you know, what the recording was or a transcript would, would go a long way to, um, to, to, to preventing a conundrum like this. Absolutely. And one of the beauties now, too, is that we have you know, video conferencing capabilities as well. So uh, you have the option to, to do that uh, through the system, which is wonderful. So, so let me be devil's advocate here. Um, there are always two sides to a coin uh, here. So um, and I think I know how you'll answer this. But sometimes the ambiguity of what may have been said on a phone call could actually save a doctor in a medical legal mess as opposed to vindicate him. So for example, if the doc, you know, the doctor and the patient are having a conversation and the doctor says something to the effect of, well, if you're really feeling bad, maybe you should go to the ER, but if, you know, if the pain's not that bad, you can probably give me a call in the morning, you know, where it's ambiguous. And, um, you know, ultimately in my little vignette here, my hypothetical vignette that has a bad outcome, and in the before picture, you just say, well, we had a conversation um, and, you know, you just change how it gets described where you kind of say, well, I told her to go to the ER if it's bad, but it's not precisely how the patient may have heard it. Now, again, at the, at the end of the day, the truth is the truth. And that's how it probably should play out in our medical legal system. But I, I'm just so wondering, are there situations where having a recording could actually be more of a problem for the doctor in terms of defense or what are your thoughts? So I, so I would say this, that, um, and I think Colleen would probably attest to this too, because we've spoken to a number of customers about this, that knowing that you're being recorded maybe makes you a little more conservative in your answers than you might have mm -hmm. been if you had just had a conversation, not knowing that call was being recorded. So you know, it's yeah. being recorded. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that kind of subliminally in the back of your head says, you know what, I know I'm being recorded. I'm going to take the conservative route here. I'm just going to tell them, you know, I think you should go to the emergency room or, or, or you know, continue your medications. So pay, customers have actually told us that, knowing full well that the call was recorded, that kind of played into how they answer things. Now, on, on the flip side of that, you know, and one of the things we had as a conversation with some of the malpractice carriers, yeah, there, there's no question. There, there will be some instances, without a doubt, where you know, we make mistakes, we're human too, um, and you may have handled something the wrong way, but you know what, it's not going to be dragged out. At that point, it's going to be, mm -hmm. you know, I listened to the conversation, oh, I'm going to beat myself over, but you know what, I, I said the wrong thing, um, and, and it, yeah, it's just settle that case. 
but it, it's not going to be a whole long drawn out thing because there's going to be an answer whether it was handled properly or not handled properly. I mean, once you start to think of it as an extension of the medical record, it, it is what it is. I mean, if the medical record said you made the wrong diagnosis or you implemented the wrong treatment, it is what it is. And if it was wrong and it can be construed as malpractice and they could win in court because of those uh, allegations, then maybe knowing that sooner rather than later, as as much as you would prefer not to have that that cloud hanging over you, at least it won't be raining forever. It, it's a short-lived uh, thunderstorm and you can go back uh, to work. At least that would be my take on it. I would tell you in the, in the decade of our recording conversations between patients and doctors, I am unaware of a single instance where a phone conversation hurt the provider. So maybe more of a hypothetical risk, but with the benefit of 10 years of experience, it just does not play it out. doesn't mean it can never play out, but the argument that you're making is that you are far better off having a recording there to potentially assist in your medical record documentation um, than not having a record. Correct. Yeah, I would say I would say most of us, given the medical legal climate that we're in, tend to be more conservative with our recommendations with our patients, and uh, having that recorded is without a doubt going to protect you. The other thing that I think would be a net plus, um, at least in terms of patient perception, is that sometimes a conversation. I'll give you the before picture. A conversation might take place, and let's say it takes place in the office, and that you you then document. Now, patients can get access to their records through the open access uh, policy now, but before it was challenging, and, and frequently the patients would not read their records. But the actual documentation may not have entirely reflected the full conversation with the patient. It may have been more detailed, for example, than what the patient heard. But I can well imagine um, that patients would better receive the notion that what is being documented, namely the recording, is actually what took place. And there's no disconnect between, you know, memories of a conversation and actually what made it into the written record. What do you think of that? No, I totally agree with you. Any other, um, well, one, one final thing. Um, because doctors generally don't practice um, without the protection of a professional liability carrier. Um, in my experience, many professional li liability carriers, they deliver great service, but they have not been at the forefront in terms of adopting new technologies. Um, eventually, they, they jump in and, and um, better understand you know, how these tools can help protect um, Positions, uh, particularly in in terms of uh, the defense and in, in litigation, I'm sure you've you've had conversations with various professional liability carriers. You mentioned one with Warren Buffett at at the helm. I assume that's Medical Protective. Um, but ha what has been the reception to the product that uh, you provide, and do they make accommodations for physicians who are embracing this technology? sure every carrier is different. It has its own culture, but uh, you've been at this for a while. What has been your experience with the various carriers? And feel free to name names if you'd like. Sure. Well, we do have um, several deals with um, a couple of uh, malpractice carriers to provide discounts um, for mm -hmm. using the system. Um, 
I haven't had any negative feedback from any of the malpractice carriers. The only thing I would say is that even though some of them love it, they just don't want to give discounts <laughs> for any reason whatsoever. Um, so that that's been the challenge. Uh, not not that they don't like it, not that they don't want their their, their doctors and providers to use it. Um, that just some of them don't want to give a discount for any reason whatsoever. Meaning that they want to be a beneficiary of the decreased frequency of litigation and decreased severity of litigation, but they don't necessarily want to share those proceeds with their policyholders. That's, that's probably about right. <laughs> yep. Uh, Colleen, do you want to weigh in on that too? Oh, no, I would agree with what you said in terms of, of, of how those relationships have gone. What I would also like to just add, though, because I don't think that we stated it um, as clearly as maybe we should, um, in terms of like that reference to the carrier logs that you know mm -hmm. they don't save, um, all calls in and out of MedExCom are recorded, archived, and uh, accessible to our practices for 23 years. And the accessibility is something that we've newly just added because the longer we're in business, the more these doctors are calling us saying, hey, I need to get that recording. Even though they can play it, we want to transmit it to them in a mm -hmm. compliant way. So now we've made that, um, we've put that tool right at their fingertips because it was happening that they needed to get it to their insurance company or they needed to get it to their lawyers. So um, the longer we're in business, we're seeing more of that activity. So. So maybe the insurance companies will find us <laughs> because their customers are using us and using these recordings. Well, having records that are in place for a long period of time would be really helpful because memories fade. And, you know, if, if it's crucial to your defense, having such, and I, I know people think it's preposterous, you know, how can you have litigation from something that took place more than five or six years ago? I'd love to say that I've never seen that. I see it all the time. I've got one case that is still ongoing and i'm not kidding you it's from the last century it's from 1999 we're now 20 we're recording this 2021 so the medical care was delivered 22 years ago and this case still hasn't finished it's still working its way up and down through the appellate courts and you know the the information is stale the witnesses have retired or or died or are cannot be located. Um, and some of the challenge is that nobody knows where the full set of information lies. And if, if it could be located, I, I'm guessing, uh, while there may still be a dispute, the likelihood of this dispute being being uh, addressed <laughs> would, would, would increase significantly. I, I don't know that it would last, it would have the same longevity. So I, I love the idea that you keep recordings for so long. Hi, by the way, how'd you come up with the number 20 did you say 23 years? Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's up to age 21 with two years of discovery. Oh, very good. Yeah, for the OBs. Uh, 20, yeah, exactly. Well, what, have, what important points have we left out? Uh, thanks so much for being generous with your time today. What other things do you want our listeners to know and include how they can get in touch with you to learn more? Colleen, why don't you take that one? <laughs> sure. Um, well, to get in touch with us, that's that's simple. Um, you obviously can visit our website, which is uh, medx, M-E-D-X dot com. Mm -hmm. um, you can also phone us at 877-633-9776. Um, I'm personally reachable at extension 700. So I would ask that you um, get me directly at extension 700. And that call will be recorded. Okay. <laughs> 
Maybe, no, I don't maybe think not. so. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> we'll include the contact information uh, in the show notes. Uh, listen, I can't thank uh, the two of you enough for coming on and educating our listeners about this very innovative product. I wish you the best of luck, and I think it's a no-brainer for for all all medical justice members, in fact, all podcast listeners to jump on board. Thanks, thanks for coming on board today. Well, thank you for having us. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice, and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MED-JUST. That's 1-877-MED-JUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epison Frank O, news, at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336-358-5587. We offer discounts for large groups, and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.